1 Peter chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 6. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord declares, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who calls us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. God, we thank you for your word that is holy, that is true, that is inspired, that is useful to equipping us, Lord God, for the work of the ministry, for every good work that you've called us to do, Lord God. Father, we thank you because it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it cuts to the marrow, Lord God, splitting soul and spirit, Lord God, discerning our thoughts. God, we surrender to you and submit to your word today, and we ask you, speak to our hearts. God, not what we want to hear, Lord God, not what we desire, but Lord God, what we need to hear. God, speak to us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church. And God, may you be glorified in us as we don't solely hear your word, but we live it, God. Help us to be doers of your word, not hearers alone. God, we give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. In this first day of the new year, we will be completing or finishing off our First Peter series. And... <clears throat> Then next week, we'll begin a new series that's going to be a mini-series kind of in between First and Second Peter, but we want to continue on in this, and we have been dealing with the sufferings and the hardships, and the last few weeks, we started dealing with humility and how important that is, and today, what I want to speak about is a message I've entitled, Aligned with Grace. Toward the latter part of this letter to the, to the people that Peter is writing, to the churches abroad that he's writing to, he begins to communicate to them and, he, and, and, he, and he's sharing with them some principles. And I think the most important verse here is for us to understand the entire purpose that he wrote this book is summed up in verse 12. And it says this, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting, in, in other words, encouraging and testifying that this is the truth true grace of God in which you stand. And what he was doing was he was writing under the churches and writing to them and that way they would be encouraged that in the midst of their hardship, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of everything that they were going through, they hadn't missed the mark. 
They hadn't missed Jesus. They hadn't missed anything. They were faithfully serving him and obeying him. And all they needed to do was to continue on moving forward and pressing in in this relationship with Jesus, continuing to serve him and obey him, continuing to do what he's called them to do, which is to be the light and the salt, no matter what it costs, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what they may be feeling or experiencing, the truth is that they have been called to live out a life that brings glory and honor to Jesus. Jesus, and that's what we're called to do today. Amen? And so the apostle Peter writes this book or these letters to encourage them. And he ends it here and he begins in verse 6 and he says this, Therefore humble yourself. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago when we began to deal with verse 5 and the, and the latter part, quoting the book of Proverbs, um, the, the writer Peter says, God resists the, the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so we know how important humility is. Remember, we talked about being clothed in humility and what that really meant. It meant to put on a servant's garment. It meant to be marked by what? By humility, to be marked by one who wasn't trying to exalt himself, but was trying to exalt Jesus. One who was serving Christ out of a heart of devotion, a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of recognition and understanding of what Jesus has already done for them. And so the mindset that Christians should pursue is one of humility. We should pursue the mind of Christ. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. But sometimes you and I don't think the thoughts of Jesus. Notice I said you and I. I didn't say you alone. Hello, somebody. We all in this room are alike because there are moments that I'm not thinking Jesus' thoughts. I'm not thinking the thoughts that I should be thinking. My mind is not focused the way that it should be. And, and so what we have to do is we need to pursue that. There are moments that we don't want to walk in humility because in our day and age, humility is like not a good thing. Hello. You know, because we're into building self-esteem. That's the opposite of... Mm-hmm. You got to think highly of yourself. You know, you have to, you know, have respect and, you know, you got to walk with it with a little swagger. Right? Mm-hmm. Glory to God. So in our day, it's like, no, you're humble. Humble. Wait a second. That's not, that's not the way that we're supposed to be. We need to be proud of who we are. And we need to have all of these certain things that are going on. And the, the Bible is so countercultural in that. The scriptures are like, listen, that is not what we're supposed to be pursuing. We are supposed to be pursuing Christ's likeness. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, that means that I'm going to do what? I'm going to walk in humility. I'm going to be clothed in humility. Jesus wasn't worried about how people or what people thought about him. He was worried about or concerned with, should I say, accomplishing the will of the Father, and that was it. He didn't care what anyone thought about him. He wasn't worried about what anybody had as far as in their mind concerning him. He was concerned with bringing glory and honor to the Father, and that was it. He didn't care about any of that other stuff. And when we look at this book, this book deals with suffering, it deals with hardship, it deals with difficulty, and how we as Christians are supposed to deal with that. And the one thing that we got to realize is that all suffering, all hardship, all difficulty, and most negative situations either directly or indirectly test and display our humility. Whenever we're going through difficult situations, the truth comes out. It's what I call the sponge principle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all have heard this, this analogy before. My father told it to me a long time ago, and I love it. When you look at a sponge, what does a sponge do? A sponge absorbs liquid. 
Whatever liquid, if you take a sponge, you put it over soda, it's going to absorb soda just like it would do water. It's going to absorb bleach just like it would do it. It's going to, it's going to absorb those certain care, um, those, those um, liquids. And then what happens is you can look at that sponge and it looks like, well, maybe it's dry, right? And the moment you go to grab it, you're going to find out what's in it. Hello. And so when we go through hardship, when we go through difficulty, what is happening? We are being pressured or we are being squeezed. And so what comes out of us is either the character of Christ, which will be founded in humility or something else. We start to feel, we start to, all of a sudden those things start to come out. You know how we start to feel that entitlement? Hello. Glory to God. We feel, we feel the entitlement starts to rise up. Oh, I don't deserve this. Okay, who does? Well, I can think of 10 people that do, but I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. So what comes out? Well, you know, we, we look at things that other, we, we see other people in similar situations and see we know all their business. Hello. We know all their dirt, and they seem to be so successful, and everything is going good. And me, I'm crying out to God. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm seeking him. I'm in his word. I'm obeying him. Why is my life so hard? Listen, the reality is when we get squeezed, what is inside of us will come out. And that is what hardship, that is what difficulty does. And when God allows these things to come into our life, you know what God's greatest concern is? You can write this down. Just remember this for the rest of the year. God's greatest concern is not our comfort. God's greatest concern is his glory. Glory to God. God's greatest concern is not how we feel. It's not what we think. It is not what we imagine or assume or what we think things should be like. It is his glory. It is him being glorified in our lives in the earth. And sometimes, most times, we need the hardships that we are going through in order to develop that godly character that is so vital to him being glorified. And if we don't go through the hardship and and gain the character, gain the right heart, gain the right mindset, then what happens is he is not going to be fully glorified as he ought to be in us. Amen? There's There's some things you need to realize and I need to continue to remind myself of, and it is that humility is maintained by the fear of the Lord, by following the example of Christ, by esteeming others higher than ourselves, and by truthful and honest evaluation of ourselves. The way that we maintain the humility that we should be walking in, the way that we do it, it is all by the grace of God, but there are some things that we need to do. Number one is we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. We need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. We need need to really walk in reverence for him because you know what keeps us humble? When we understand that all of my success has nothing to do with me. What, 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 what Pastor Robert was saying when he was, when he was talking to you a few minutes ago, and he was saying, he said, you know what, I realized that it wasn't me that woke me up. I have nothing to do with these 44 years. He said, you thought it was your alarm clock that woke you up, but really it was God Almighty. Hello. That said, you can wake up, that you can succeed. It is him who gives you the power for success. It is not me by myself. It is not because I am so ingenious or because I read so many books or because I got on the right whatever. Listen, it is because of him. And when I fear him, I won't become proudful or boastful because I realize that it is all a product of his grace, anything that I have. It is not anything else, but it is because of who he is. And no matter how hard I work, I realize that it is his grace working in me to will and to do that which he has set me apart for before the foundation of the world. 
See, I'll understand those things when I have a real fear of the Lord and I, and I realize that he is a good God and a merciful God. No matter what I'm facing, I will continue to reverence him and I will not become prideful and be like, well, I don't deserve this, so I'm not following him. But if we don't fear him, we have issues. And the beauty of this is that when we fear him, we will automatically follow the example of his son. We will, auto, we, will, we will look at how Jesus dealt with hardship. We will look at how Jesus dealt with persecution. We will look at how Jesus confronted the issues that he was going. We'll look at those and we will follow his example. We won't need a bracelet to remind us what would Jesus do because it has been written on our hearts. What would Jesus do? And when I'm going through the difficulty, when I'm going through the hardship, the fear of the Lord leads me to that. And then what I do is I esteem others higher than myself. See, that's tough for some of us. Hello, somebody. Oh, you know, they're not, they're not as good as me. They're not as spiritual as I am. Well, I'm at prayer meeting. I don't see them. I make it every Wednesday. Where are they at? Hmm. I'm at all the special services. They don't ever show up. Hello. Right? But do you know their situation? Do you know what's going on? Do you know why they're not here on Wednesday? Do you know why they're not here on Sunday morning praying? I don't know. Listen, when we look at esteeming others, it's looking at them through the eyes of Christ. I'm going to deal with this more next week, so I won't dig into it real deep today. But it is seeing people not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit of God. And then it is honestly and truthfully evaluating ourselves. That's how we walk in humility. Because when I really look in the mirror, I really start to see some things that are wrong. And I'm not talking about the mirror in your bathroom or bedroom. I'm talking about the mirror of his word. When I start to look into that mirror and I look at the reflection of Christ coming forward, I begin to see that there is a lot of stuff that don't look exactly like him. I start to see that. And it's not to depress me, it is to encourage me because he died for me. Hello. He died so that way I could become that glory. He died for me so that way I could be what he's called me to be. But when I look into the scriptures and I see the areas where I fall short, I look at that mirror and it helps me to remain humble because it helps me to remember I don't deserve anything. The first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Humility before the Lord is what counts above all else. Read verse 6 and 7 with me. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he, speaking of God, may exalt you in due time, casting all of your cares or your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. He begins by saying that we should be humble, humble. Humility before the Lord is what counts above all else. Let me say this, though. You can't be humble before the Lord and prideful before the world. Did you hear what I said? You can't. Oh, the the Lord knows my heart. You're right. He does. And your heart is displayed in your lifestyle. And so what we realize is that you cannot treat people like you are better than them, like they are subservient to you, or not all people, just some people, just the ones that you're smarter than or better looking than, right? Or have a nicer house than or a nicer car than, or whatever the case may be, the way that you feel. No, no, you, 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 you can't walk and pride and arrogance before man and say, well, I'm walking in humility before God. It is impossible. It doesn't work together. 
If you're truly humble before God, you will walk in humility before man. And let me say this really quickly because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Humility before man doesn't mean you walk around with your head down, never looking people in the eyes, acting like you're worthless. That is not what humility is. That is false humility, and that is pride. Did you hear what I just said? Let me say that again. Listen. When you walk around, when you're, when, when you're a humble person, it doesn't mean you walk around with your head down and, you know, like you're worthless and you're nothing and you never recognize where you're gifted. As a matter of fact, part of being humble is acknowledging where God has gifted you. <laughs> Glory to God. Part of, because what you're saying is, this is what I've been equipped and designed to do. I haven't been equipped and designed to do that. That's part of humility. It's embracing what God has called you to do, not trying to do everything that you want to do. That's part of humility. And so I know that I am able to do this. I am able to do that. I'm not able to do these other things. Someone else can do those things. But these, yeah, I can do those. That's all part of being a humble person. And so to be humble before the Lord, or as he says here, to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, what does that mean? That means that I trust his sovereignty. I trust that he is in control of all things, even when I'm experiencing hardship at the hand of us unjust government, a, a, a hardship at the hand of unfair employees, unsaved spouses, and undeserving pastors. You know why I said all of those? It's because if you think back to the last few weeks, that's what we talked about, being submissive to government, being submissive to employers, being submissive to unsaved husbands, being submissive unto leadership. This is what we dealt with in these last few weeks. And when he's saying here to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he's saying all of this authority has been established by God Almighty. And you know what? When you are humble before them and submissive unto them, what you are saying is, God, I trust your sovereignty even though they may be the cause of all of the hardship I'm going through. I trust that you are in control of all things no matter what I may be feeling or sensing. What we have to understand is that if we have been entrusted with these hardships and we remain humbly focused and committed to Christ in due time, in due time, not any time, in due time, at the God-appointed time. That's what it's talking about. Y'all that were here last week, you heard the, 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 um, a poem that was spoken, and there was the difference. Speaking about Jesus, Jesus was born in due time. He was born in the Kairos time of God, in the appointed time of God. Not the Kronos time. Kronos time is just any time, all the time, whatever time. No, no, no. There is an appointed time for everything that God is doing. Oh, my goodness. In my life and in your life. The thing is that we want to just any time at our time be lifted up, and God says, wait a second. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due time in his time in his appointed time he will exalt you he will lift you up that's what that, that's what the scripture says but when we think about being exalted many of us look at us being exalted as okay well I go through hardship for a long time and difficulty and then I'm gonna get my breakthrough I'm gonna get my blessing and so then I'm gonna be exalted wait a second we need to understand something the exaltations of this earth, the things that we get, all of those things are good and all of those things are nice. The cars, the promotion, the house, and all of that stuff, all of those things are good. But none of them compare to the exaltation, which is the greatest of all, to be able to proclaim the gospel through my life. 
That is the exaltation that he is talking about here. Throughout this entire book, it's been about what? Us going through hardship, reflecting the image of Christ. Us going through difficulty, sharing the gospel through the life that we live. People treating us wrongly, us acting in love, and them seeing what? That Jesus is real, that he is alive, that he is in charge. That is the exaltation. It is that his glory is reflected through you and through I. The greatest gift that God gives us, and we continue on looking at verse 7, he says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. The greatest gift that God gives those who walk in humility before him is that he personally commits to caring for them. He says, listen, humble yourself under my hand and let me care for you. Let me You don't need to worry. When he says to cast all of your cares, that word can be anxieties. All of the things you are anxious about. The actual root of that word, it means to divide. And so what happens is, he says, cast on the Lord all of those things that are pulling you in different directions. Cast upon the Lord those things that are hindering you from focusing on the gospel. Cast your cares upon him. Our lives cannot remain singularly focused upon the gospel if we are being torn apart internally. If our minds, listen, when you get down to pray, I just think about this for a moment. When you get down to pray, does your mind run to all the bills you got to pay? Does your mind run to the people that have offended you? Does your mind run to all of the hardship or difficulty you're facing? Does your mind run all over the place, even to good things? Hello. Can you get down before him and be totally focused on him? If you can't, this is his invitation. Cast your cares upon me and let me care for you. Walking in humility before him, Lord, I trust you with my life. All of the details, not some of the details. See, because that's the issue with some of us. We will trust him with most of the details, not all of the details. Don't you think that we serve a detail-oriented God? Have you not read the book of Exodus? Go ahead and read the book of Exodus, like the latter chapters. I don't even know how many chapters are in that are specifically dedicated to all of the precision to making the temple. He shows that he is a detail-oriented God. And when he says he cares for you, it means he cares for you. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me. Humility keeps us out of season on our enemy's menu. Humility keeps us out of season on our enemy's menu. Have you ever gone to a restaurant And you see like, you know, something that you really want to eat, but then there's like some little asterisks next to it. And you look down to the bottom of the the thing to find out what those asterisks mean. And they say, only in season. In other words, they only serve that particular thing in season. And and if you go in there when it's out of season, you cannot get that plate. Can I tell you something? You want to always be out of season on the enemy's menu. And this is what he says here. He tells us to humble ourselves before the Lord under his mighty hand. And then he goes on to verse 8. He says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for who is on the menu. Verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Being humble, trusting in the Lord, casting our cares upon him does not mean we disengage mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. On the contrary, humility awakens us to the battle that we are engaged in. 
See, when we cast our cares upon the Lord, it doesn't mean that we live carefree. It means we live cared for. See, there's a difference. It doesn't mean we walk around with no cares. It means that we know who is caring for us. It means that we are able to trust him, to do what he has said that he will do, to accomplish what he has promised that he would accomplish. So the first thing it says is that we are supposed to be sober. And so, so common sense would say that sober means not to be drunk, right? Say not to be drunk. And so when you look at that, what he is saying is it is to be a person who is dispassionate. A person who is level-headed, a person who is not emotionally driven, a person who doesn't go through hardship and automatic. I mean, I'm talking about the person just gets touched. They don't even get squeezed. Hello. You know that person that they don't even get touched. They just, I mean, they don't, even, they, they don't get squeezed. It doesn't, and, and they're already cussing someone out. Hello. They're already going off acting foolish. They're already talking bad about so-and-so. Something didn't go the way they wanted to. Something didn't happen the way that, mm-hmm. That person. Just one thing goes wrong, and they're just off the top going, oh, that's crazy. That is not the way we're supposed to. Why? Because when you're not sober, you're on the menu. You I'm going to tell you why. Because when you're not sober, you say things and you do things that you regret, and then you know what comes in? Condemnation. Because the same, the same enemy that was jigging at you, trying to get you to act foolishly, the same enemy is going to be the same one to come there and bring condemnation to your life. And tell you, what kind of Christian are you talking like that? What kind of Christian are you acting that way? And, and, and make it even worse, don't let someone else actually catch you in the act. Hello, somebody. Because then you not only avoid God, you avoid them too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> be sober. Have a mind that is level-headed. Be self-controlled is what that means. I like to put it like this. Be gospel-focused. Be focused on what God is doing in your life, what he has done in your life through the gospel. Humility doesn't just keep us sober, but humility keeps us vigilant. Say watchful. It means to pay attention to what's going on. See, when you're, when you're carefree, you don't pay attention. You know, it's kind of like when you're driving and, you know, you have this mirror, this mirror, and this mirror. And so you're going to get into that lane over there. And you look up and you look there and you're like, everything is good. And then you go and you pull and all of a sudden you're, ah! Why? Because you didn't look over your shoulder. Hello. And they were right in that blind spot. You were not being watchful. And so what happens is when you are not watchful the same way you have these blind spots in your life, guess what? You're on the menu. Because you have not, because he is looking for someone who is not sober. He is looking for someone who can be incidental. Someone who is not even meaning to fall into that situation or enter into that. But because they were not being watchful, they ended up on the menu. And guess what? He comes to devour. The word devil there, it says, <clears throat> the word devil, he's, he's, he's like a roaring lion, our adversary. That word is the word diablos, and it means to slander. And so what, he want, what does he want to devour? He's not literally going to eat you or me. But what is it that he wants to devour? He wants to devour our faith and trust in God Almighty. And how does he do that? He does that by accusing God and by accusing men. Think about the Garden of Eden. What happened? He comes, has a conversation with Adam and Eve. What does he do? He accused God to them. Did he tell you not to eat from all of these trees? And they're like, well, you know, she's like, well, you cannot eat from this tree. Can't even touch it because the day you do that, you're going to die. And so what does he do? He accuses God to them. No, 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 no. You can eat from that tree. He just don't want you to be like him. What was he doing? 
He was trying to make God look evil. Make God look like an unloving, uncaring father. Like he, he doesn't care about you. He, didn't want, he wants to keep you under control. Wait a second. He wanted them to have eternal life. He wanted them to have everything. And not, what did the enemy do? He came, accused God against them. Accused God to them. And so what did they end up doing? They sinned against him. They sinned against him and what? They were devoured. And now we all grow, we're all born into sin because of what? Because of what Adam and Eve did. And so we all experience the effects of what happened thousands of years ago because God was accused. And so what does the enemy want to do? He wants you to go through hardship and difficulty and then come to you and say, man, if God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. If God was really with you, you wouldn't be experiencing this. This wouldn't be happening to you. And then, and, and then, and then what, 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 what is it that we automatically start to do? We start to question all kind of stuff. Amen? He accuses us. He, and he'll accuse men. He'll accuse other people. You know, your other Christian friends. Hello, somebody. He'll accuse them, make you just think that they're evil. Hello. Listen, there are some people that are wicked. Hello. Let's, let's be real on that. But not everybody's evil. Not everybody's wicked. Not everybody's out to get you. And what he'll do is he'll make us feel like that. Oh, they, you know, they, 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 they're just out to get me. Or he'll, or he'll talk about them. And I mean, the one that we hear all the time, we go ahead and just do some evangelism this year. And you hear it a few times, I'm sure. Oh, I don't want to go to church because all they want is my money. What is that? That is an accusation against man. That is, a, that, that is the enemy being successful in accusing men of just wanting your money. Now, listen, can I, can I just be real for just one moment? There are some people that are like that. Not everybody, though. Hello. There are some folks that are that way, but not everybody is like that. Not everybody is concerned about the dollars and cents alone. And so the whole thing is that we're supposed to be able to do what? We're supposed to be vigilant. We're supposed to be sober. We're supposed to be aware of our enemies so we can do what verse 9 says. Verse 9 says, resist him. We are supposed to be able, if we are vigilant, if we are sober, then we are going to be able to resist the enemy. We do what the Bible says. Submit ourselves unto God, resist the enemy, and he's going to flee. This is what Scripture teaches us. And so we are supposed to be those who are able to overcome. But the only way that we can fully and faithfully resist the enemy is through the power of the gospel. And what, what needs to happen is that we must be firmly rooted in the gospel and continually weeding and feeding the garden of our hearts. Here's what the enemy wants us to do. See, because when, when you look at what all of these things do when you are not sober, when you are not vigilant, you end up isolating yourself. And when the enemy can go on ahead and get you to think wrongly of God, get you to think wrongly of other Christians, what do you do? You stay away from them. And I know that most of you have watched, you know, some kind of Discovery Channel or something like that, and you've seen how the cheetahs and these different, you know, animals chase after their prey. How many times have you seen them run into a whole flock and come and grab something? Very rarely, if at all. They always do what? They find the lone ranger. They find the one who got too excited about a piece of grass over here, and all of a sudden, he's eating away, and he's having a good meal, and now he's on the menu. Because he wasn't watchful, he got overexcited about a piece of grass, he got overexcited about something, and so now he finds himself by himself, and he's running and hopping and jumping, and they just coming at him. Hello. 
And sometimes they get away, but it's not very often. <laughs> it is not very often that they get away. So what, what, what happens is when we allow the enemy to slander God or to slander our brothers, because that's what he's doing, what do we do? We isolate. We separate. And then we're on the menu. We want to stay off the menu. Amen? One of the greatest lies, if I could tell you, that the enemy uses against us is that we are alone. Look what he says here. Resist him steadfast in the faith. You resist him steadfast in the faith, the gospel, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So one of the biggest things the enemy wants you to believe is that you're all by yourself suffering. You are all by yourself going through this hardship. You are the only one who has ever experienced this problem. That's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that stuff. And, and can I tell you why it becomes so easy for us to believe that? It is because whether we realize it or not, we become so engulfed in our own little world that we don't realize what's going on in other people's lives. We don't realize that right now there are pastors in other places while we may be over here, people talking about us. These pastors are in prisons unjustly waiting for the decision if they're going to be executed or not because they proclaim the name of Jesus. But we won't know that if we don't ever go and Google something or we don't get an email from somewhere, some type of prayer request, and we get all involved in our problem. And you know what's the sad part? Here's the saddest part of all of that, is that when you become so engulfed in your own situation, in your own circumstance, you can hear all of the problems that other people are going through, and they don't even move you to compassion. That's when you know that you are definitely on the menu. When you start hearing about hardships that other people are going through, and it doesn't move you inside. Because what is happening, slowly but surely, the enemy is causing your heart to become desensitized. Not because you're living in some kind of big sin like you would think, but you're doing the worst of all. You're isolating yourself. You're internalizing everything. You're keeping yourself away from the life-changing power of God Almighty. Because what? Because woe is me. Listen. I'm not trying to belittle anybody's hardship because all hardship is hardship. It is difficult and it is painful. But we do not as Christians have or we should not as Christians internalize. We should reach out to God Almighty. We should trust what his word says and grab a hold of him and not let him go no matter what it is that we're facing. Amen? Amen. Number three, repeat this after me. Humility, Humility. aligns us with the God of all grace who completes us and empowers us to stand firm in his grace. Let's read verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He goes on to say in verse 12, we read that, that this is like the whole thing of this entire book. And it is that he exhorts and testifies that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. See, what happens to us is that many times because of the situations that we face or the things that we go through, we will begin to question our faith in God. We'll begin to question God and his goodness. We'll begin to question, is God really there? And the biggest thing is this, and this may sound really cliche-ish to most of us, and we have heard this tons and tons of times, but we really have to ask this question. Do we believe that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose? 
Do we really believe that? Or does it just become one of those Christian cliches, one of those things that we say, or does it do something to my heart when I'm going through difficulty to understand that God truly is in control and that he wants to bring glory and honor to his name, and at the end of it all, it's going to be for your good? Do we believe that, or is it something that we really don't believe? See, as the enemy is seeking to devour us, the Lord is faithfully seeking to develop us. The gospel is being worked into us. Look what he says. He says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, after you have suffered for some time, after you've gone through some hardship. And so Peter's saying, listen, you got to have some hope. Your hardship is not going to last forever. Your difficulty is not going to last forever. Your situation is not going to last forever. When you look at a while, that, that word literally in the original, it literally means a little while. The thing is this. We can't measure time the way we want to measure time. Because when we look at a little while, a little while is like an hour, two hours, a week, you know, depending if, in, you know, in perspective of a year, you know, a week is a little bit of time. But when we look at some of our lives, we got to look at time in the perspective of eternity. I know that that is so hard because I'm like, man, I need this thing to be over right now. I, I'm with you 100%. But we need to understand who is the author of time. Who is the one who's controlling all things? It is God Almighty. And Peter has hope. Peter's been through some difficulty. Peter's been through some hardship. Peter fell asleep when he should have been awake. Peter was not sober. Peter chopped someone's ear off. Peter denied the Lord. Peter went through some difficulty because he did not do these things. So when he's communicating this, he's saying, listen, I wasn't sober. I wasn't vigilant. The enemy almost devoured me, but God Almighty delivered me. And he goes on to say, God is working while the enemy is trying to devour. Jesus, the high priest, the intercessor, is interceding for you. And this is the purpose, is that he wants to perfect you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to establish you. He wants to settle you. He wants to do some things. When I looked up these words, perfect and, and establish and strengthen and settle, it's kind of difficult to separate these words at first, and I was just going to throw, you know, out there to say, you know, these are all words about fortification and move on, and we were going to go and, you know, call it a day. But I decided to look a little bit deeper. Hallelujah. Aren't you excited? You get to sit here for another hour while I explain this to you. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to start this year off right. Praise the Lord. We are being perfected. Say perfected. When this word perfected, what it means is it means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. It means to, to, to cause to be fully qualified, to equip, to adjust, or to fit together. And so what God is saying is that he is fitting us for something. He is putting us, to, he is making adjustments in our lives through the hardship, through the difficulty. As the enemy is trying to devour and destroy us, God the Father is looking at us. And what he's doing is he's saying, I need to make this more like me. There's too much of you here. I need to get that out of the way. And what he's doing is he is making us adequate. When he says perfect, he means perfect. Say, when he says perfect, he means perfect. But then he goes on to say, we are being perfected and also being established. And so, wouldn't you think perfection is enough? Right? I mean, I'm being perfected, isn't that a good enough? Isn't that, I mean, perfect is perfect, right? You can't get any better than perfect. I mean, that's just the way that we think. I mean, that's how I think. It's kind of like that picture on the wall when I, when, I was, when I was thinking about it. It's kind of like when you go and you, you, know, you measure, you level out the picture, and you put it in that perfect spot, and it's right there, boom. Right? Straight, everything's looking good. Put the level on it. It looks good. 
And then all of a sudden you come back like in a week. Can I tell you something? We're like that picture. We're perfect, measured, established, fit, adjusted, looking good. We get our little swagger on, right? We start uh, getting a little dip. Hello, somebody. Start limping a little bit. Right? I'm perfect, really. See, is that when you start thinking you're perfect? Mm. I went through this. So then he says he is perfecting us and then establishing us. So what this word establish means is it means to strengthen one's soul or to make more able. To strengthen one's soul or to make more able. So he perfects you, gets you right, and then he goes on because by ourselves right there, we will end up tilting and eventually fall off. Hello. But what he says is, I'm not going to let you do that. So then he establishes us. He strengthens our soul, strengthens our inner man, and then he makes us more able. And so it's really adding strength to strength in this area of our life, adding something to perfection which only God could do. Is he not amazing? But then he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just make us more able to straighten us out again because if we stay there, we end up tilting again, end up falling off again. It goes on to say, then he strengthens us. To cause someone to become stronger, wait a second, you were already strong, but he's making you even stronger. To make a person more firm and unchanging in attitude or belief. It means to strengthen you in a way that, you know what, you thought you were strong. You thought you were strong enough. You thought you were able enough. You thought you had enough conviction. You you thought all of those things. But God says, wait a second, I'm not done with you. Because I don't want you to just be perfect. I don't just want you to be established. I don't just want you to be strengthened. But then he goes on to say, and settle you. And the word settle is literally a word for foundation. It means to lay a foundation. I'm like, wouldn't we start at the foundation? And I'm like, of course we would start at the foundation. And and the fact of the matter is, is that God is always doing something new in us. The Bible says his mercies are new every day. He wants to give us. We have never come to the point or to the place that we are not growing. And so what he does is he perfects us. He he, he adjusts, makes all of those things, brings us to himself, shows us what we need to see, brings us to repentance, and then he establishes establishes us and he adds that strength to strength. He strengthens our hearts, makes our convictions more firm, makes us more solid, and then he's laying a foundation and all of this is working together for what? For his glory and our good. See, here's the thing. When I sat down, I looked at this, I said, man, if the gospel is not continuously working in our lives, then we're walking away from it. Because the gospel needs to continually have its way in our hearts. This is the reason. And let me say this. It's not because we forget stuff. That's not solely it. It's because we lose focus. Not because we forget. Because if someone asks us a question, you know what will happen? We'll come back and be like, oh, I remember that. And we'll bring it up again. No. It's because we lose focus of what really matters. It's not about me. It's not about my situation. It is about his glory. It is about his honor. It is about his gospel being preached through my life. He's called us to an eternal glory. And I'll say this, and I'm getting ready to close. 
We can only stand firm in the grace of God to the degree that we are being transformed by the gospel of grace. We can only stand firm in the grace of God to the degree that we are being transformed by the gospel of grace. If we are not being changed by the gospel of grace, we're not standing firm in that gospel. We're not. If we are not being transformed by what Christ has done for us continually. Listen, I will repeat this as many times as I can until the day that I die. The gospel is not for the lost. It is for Christians. What do I mean? I'm not saying that the gospel is not for the lost. Obviously, we need to preach the gospel to the lost. But it is for Christians as much as it is for those who don't know Jesus. We don't get saved and move past the gospel. We get saved and move deeper into the gospel. We move deeper. The gospel grows deeper into our hearts. And if we're not doing that, we've missed it. Today is the first day of the new year, right? And so we're all going to make, if we haven't already made, like, you know, 15 New Year's resolutions. Amen? I don't know what your resolutions are. Maybe you're going to lose 10 pounds, 50 pounds, something like that. Maybe you're going to gain 10 pounds and get all diesel. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know what your goals are. You know, maybe you decided I'm going to read my Bible through from the beginning to end. I'm starting Genesis chapter 1 through 3 today. Glory to God. And I'm going to get through the whole Bible by the end of the year. Maybe, maybe that's what you decided. You know what? I'm going to wake up at, you know, whatever time you're going to wake up to pray every day and, and seek the Lord's face. Maybe those are your goals. And that's wonderful. And I pray that every one of your New Year's resolutions come to pass. Hallelujah. And that you don't go into 2013, right, saying, man, I got to do this New Year's resolution again. But can I say one thing? But can I challenge you to make one New Year's resolution and let this one consume all of the other ones? Just one. That your New Year's resolution would be, and I'm making up this word right now, glory to God. But I made it up when I was putting this message together. But that you would be gospelized. I don't think I heard that one. I heard gospel and all, or maybe we did hear it. I don't know. I'm, they use the gospel in so many ways. I don't know. But anyway, but you know how someone is hospitalized, right? <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you know how someone is hospitalized. You know, they, they find that they, they have a pain, something is wrong with them. And they're like, man, I got to go to the hospital. They get checked out and then they realize, oh my goodness. And then they end up being hospitalized. And they're there until what? Until they get better. Can I tell you something? We ain't ever going to get better. We need to be gospelized from the day we meet Jesus until we go to heaven. Glory to God. But 2012, I'm going to give you the definition of this word gospelized. I, gave, I, I, I figured if I make it, I'm taking it to a next level on you, on you Pastor Aldo. No, I'm going to send you this. You ain't got to write it down. I'm going to send it to you, bro. And this year, you're going to hear all these made-up words, praise the name of Jesus. To be gospelized is to cast all of our cares upon the Lord and to become overwhelmed with the indicatives of the gospel of grace, making Christ my life, my delight, and my source. That is what it means to be gospelized. 
It is to totally, 100%, cast all of my care. You know what all my cares are? Every one of those resolutions you made, cast them upon the Lord. And the ones that really matter, you know what? Because we think about eating and we just look at it as just a diet thing. Do you know that? I mean, let's be real here. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hello. And so when you eat, and, and listen, I'm convicted about this all the time. And if you ever listen to me pray when I'm eating something crazy, I don't ask God to make that food nourishment in my body because I know that's the devil. But I do know that the Bible does say that, you know, he bless everything and all that. So I say, Lord, bless this food. Lord, I know, I know it's not going to be nourishment. Have mercy on me for eating this garbage, right? I mean, seriously, the, the point of the matter is I should be able to pray anytime unhypocritically, amen? amen, including over my food. And so when I eat right, what am I doing? I'm honoring him. See, y'all don't, don't want to hear that. You're like, Bishop, I just want to eat whatever I want. I'm not telling you not to eat whatever you want. All I'm saying is that in reality, we can bring glory to him in all that we do, whether we eat or drink. Hello. That's serious. And so I say all of that because we think that those things have nothing to do with the gospel. Can I tell you something? For some folks, especially in the United States of America, the scripture in the book of Philippians that says their God is their belly, their God is their belly. They're gluttons. And we would tell somebody off for being a drunkard, but what about being a glutton? Is that not just as sinful? I'm just saying. You're getting, you're getting gospelized right now, glory to God. <laughs> glory to God. Listen, all of those things, you want to be a better spouse? That is an awesome New Year's resolution. Some of you made a New Year's resolution and said, I'm not going to raise my voice at my husband again. <laughs> glory to God. That's, a, that, that's, a, that's an amazing New Year's resolution. It's going to be tough without the gospel. I can guarantee you that. Because as he's being gospelized, glory to God, he's going, he's going to act funny sometimes. The point is, let the gospel take total control of your heart. Become overwhelmed with the indicatives, and, and I've said this before, the indicatives of the gospel, what the Bible says Jesus has done, those are the indicatives. Read throughout the New Testament. Look in throughout the Old Testament and find the gospel and see what God Almighty is communicating. That's my challenge for you in 2012 for today. Next Sunday, I have another one. Glory to God. For today, on the first day of the new year, let yourself be totally consumed with the gospel. Let yourself and, and make that commitment that I'm not just going to casually read the Bible for, you know, in a year, but that I am going to seek the heart of God and see the gospel throughout the entire Bible. That I'm not just going to pray for a longer time, but I'm going to let the motivations of the gospel move my heart as I pray. That I'm going to look at the things that move Jesus and I'm going to allow my heart to be conformed to his. That's what it means to be gospelized. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet and bow our heads. And I'm going to open the altar. I did this a couple of weeks ago, and it's open today. You may, you may, have, you may be in this place, and you may realize that you're not casting all of your cares upon him. You realize that you are not trusting him fully. And today you say, God, I just, I, I need to get with you, and I need to let you deal with some areas of my heart. 
And so as we did that a couple of weeks ago, the pastors and the leaders, they'll come up and they'll face the congregation and I'll pray. And the altar is open for you. If you need prayer, you need prayer for something. Again, it can be something that I said, maybe nothing that I said. Maybe you just came here with a burden. You came here with something in your heart and you want someone to agree with you in prayer. Today, the altar is open for you. Just come forward. There's no pressure. This is for you. This is not for us. And so we open the altar, and I'll pray, and then we'll sing and worship unto the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And God, we recognize the greatness of your grace. We recognize the greatness of you and who you are. And God, today we just submit everything that is within us unto you. And God, we pray that you would open the very windows of heaven over our lives. God, that you would reveal yourself mightily unto us. God, that you would show yourself powerful and that you would bring revelation of who you are into our lives like never before, God. Father, we want to be overwhelmed by the indicatives of the gospel, by what you declare unto us in the gospel. We want to be changed, not solely for today, not solely for this year, but God, for the remainder of our days on this earth, we want our lives to reflect you, my God. God, we want our lives to reflect the power of the gospel, Lord God. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before your presence today. And we ask you, God, to have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our hearts, God. Father, help us to cast all of our cares upon you. Help us, Lord God not to carry the burdens that don't belong to us, but the burdens that you should be carrying for us. Father, I pray for every heart that is in this place today. God, may you minister and may you meet every need. Draw us deeper, God. We give you all praise and all glory. Jesus' mighty name. So as we sing and as we worship, the altar's open for you. And I ask you whether you come to the altar or not, that you would just open your heart unto the Lord and let him minister unto you. In Jesus' name.